I'll just make a couple quick comments on that subject because uh, that subject is a uh, I don't know subject. I mean, I get, and what I mean by I don't know subject, I get questions about the Trinity sometimes, and I just have to say, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure you don't have to do that. But, uh, but over in, and I want you to understand it's okay to say that. Like, whenever I first started trying to preach and somebody would ask me something, last thing I wanted to say in the world was, I don't know. But now, <laughs> that might be the first thing I say. And then after I say, I don't know, I re re actually realize I know a little something about it, and I'll start showing them that. But uh, over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, and without controversy. You know, something with controversy means you're arguing about it. It's not quite sure. But it says, and without controversy, meaning there's no argument about this. There's no way we can say we're not quite sure. This is him saying, we are sure of this. Look what he says, and without controversy, meaning we are sure of this. Great is the mystery of godliness. And whenever it says godliness there, it's not talking about us being godly. It's talking about actually God. Because look what it says here. Whenever it says great is the mystery, look what the subject under consideration is. God was manifest in the flesh. You know why you don't know and I don't know? Because it's a great mystery. This is something that's easy to be understood, that it's a great mystery. Great is the mystery of godliness. You know what a great mystery is? That when Jesus was on this earth, He was all God and all man. Blows my mind. God was manifest in the flesh as Jesus Christ. Justified in the Spirit. I believe Romans 1 will tell us that whenever He came out of the grave. That's whenever He was justified in the Spirit. Seen of angels. I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest sermons I've ever heard in my entire life was a 17-minute sermon by Brother Adam Green on the subject of seeing of angels. And I'll just give you a little prelude to it. I've been looking for that sermon so long. Uh, I, I was there when he preached it, and they had recorded it, and now they've lost the recording. You know, it's like Sister Debbie Common says, the best ones are never recorded. And if they are, they're lost. And, I, and, and the whole premise of it was, understand the view of Jesus Christ, understand the uh, uh, who Jesus Christ was from the perspective and view of angels, seen of angels. How here was Jesus Christ as a boy, right? Getting teased by other boys. Here's Jesus Christ as a baby having to depend upon his mama to change him and his mama to feed him. And mama would tell Jesus Christ to go wash the dishes, a mama would tell Jesus Christ to do this or that, and they're looking at this woman telling her child, God Almighty, what to do? Could you imagine the perspective of angels? Because the Bible says that he was in subject to his mama and daddy. Can you imagine? Because mama and daddies aren't always right, are they? And could, could you imagine whenever they told him to do something, that was like, maybe they didn't have quite great judgment. And the perspective of the angels are sitting there like, they just, they just got on to God. Or can you imagine? I mean, brothers and sisters, He's God in the flesh. Can you imagine that this one that they worshipped before there was a was? You understand that? Before there was dust on a hilltop, this one that they worshipped as God? 
Now they're viewing him as a baby. And not only that, whenever he gets older and he starts to, or, or when he's 12 years old and he starts to preach in the synagogue and people are amazed. They're like, how does this boy know? And the angels are sitting there like, because he wrote it, you idiot. I mean, the scene of angels. Oh, can you imagine this? There's a song, it's a secular song, and I, uh, I say secular, secular religious song. I don't, I don't even know if that makes sense. It's on the radio, okay? And it's in the Christian category. But there's a phrase whenever it's talking about the death of Jesus Christ. And it says, on a hill that He created. Like, wow, huh? on a hill that He created. And think about this, the ones that He created. Brothers and sisters, there was people that He died for, that He chose before the foundation of the world that put Him to death. And can you imagine the scene of angels? I want you to understand, angels, they don't worship the Lord as their Redeemer. They worship the Lord as the King, their Creator, and they are the Lord's servants. We are His children. And He says, go, and they go. There is no if, ands, or buts. Can you imagine this one that they have worshipped before uh, time ever existed? From eternity past, if you will, I'm going to tell you for eternity they have worshipped Him and then they, then they see these putrefied sinners slapping and spit on Him and put a sword to it, put a spear to His side. Scene of angels, brothers and sisters. I'm going to tell you, I want to see the Lord the way they seen the Lord. And can you imagine... Gabriel sitting there, just let me out. Yeah. I'll take him out. Great is the mystery of God. I can't understand that. And whenever you talk about the Trinity, the best I got for you, brother uh, Alan, best I got. Over in Genesis 1 and 26, it says, um, when the Lord made man, it says, let us make, right? And our likeness and in our, our image and our likeness or our likeness our image. I'm like, I always get things like that turned backwards. But think about this. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Three in one, right? Man is in the likeness and image of God. Body, soul, and spirit. You get that? Body, soul, and spirit. They're different, but they're one. Right? I got a body, I got a soul, and I got a spirit. They're different. One day, this old body's going to be laid down in the grave, but guess what ain't going with it? My spirit. But it's still my spirit and my body. And one day, the Lord's going to come back and get this body, and my spirit and my body and my soul are all going to be one in heaven with the Lord, glorified. That's the best, that's the best I got for you. Three in one. We're made in the image and the likeness of God. We're three in one. And I'll tell you this. Jesus Christ is referred to as the arm of God. Jesus Christ is referred to as the hand of God. And even I have an arm... But it's still me. It's still me. And it's mine. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll go to what's on my mind. Appreciate what you said, Brother Alec. Lord bless you with that. And uh, I tell you, it's a hard subject to think about and meditate upon and try to teach. Uh, but if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 11 this morning. See what time it is. My subject's on my mind this morning, the uh, same thing I tried to look at Sunday morning, and it's still on my mind. 
And it's the word nevertheless. Nevertheless. And we're going to 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 5, just to define to you in a biblical way of what the word nevertheless means. Always remember this. If you're looking up what stuff means, or you're trying to get a definition or a belief system, always go to the Bible. The Bible is the best dictionary. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. But I'll tell you what the English and what the Greek and what the Hebrew says the definition nevertheless is, and then I'll just illustrate to you what it means. Okay? The word nevertheless basically means even though. Even though. That's what it means. Even though. But let's look at that applied and see what the word nevertheless means. Over in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 11, King David is now king of Israel. And in the fourth verse, it says, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabus. This is before uh, uh, Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. Somebody else uh, owned Jerusalem, if you will. And David's going to take Jerusalem. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jabus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jabus, now I want you to pay attention to this. This is going to tell you a great definition of the word nevertheless. And then so David's going to take, uh, is going, he's going to try to take uh, this town, Jabus, which is Jerusalem. And the inhabitants of Jabus said to David, Thou shalt not come up hither. Look, the, the inhabitants, David's coming with his army, and he's like, We're going to take y'all. And you know what they say? Y'all ain't going to come up. Y'all ain't coming. Y'all ain't going to take us. But let's see what the Word of God says. Nevertheless, <laughs> those that were Jabus said, Thou shalt not come hither. And then look what the Word of God says. Nevertheless, David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. So even though they said, you ain't going to take us, you know what the Bible says? Nevertheless, David took them. You know what my definition nevertheless is? That don't matter. <laughs> they said, we, y'all ain't coming, but guess what? They came. They said, you ain't going to take us. Guess what happened? They got taken. And, and there's sometimes, brothers and sisters, we need some nevertheless in our lives. Come on, tell you, this old world is hard. This old world will get you down. This old world will make you sin. And I'm not talking about in an absolute way. I'm just saying sometimes the only way that we see is sin. The only way we see is to argue. The only way we see is to justify ourselves. The only way we see is to do something wrong. But I want to tell you, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, go with me over to uh, Luke chapter 5 real quick. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Or favorite accounts in the Bible, I should say. And it came to pass, Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him, him meaning Jesus, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and, two, and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them, and were washing their nets. Okay, why do fishermen wash their nets? I was raised up by commercial fishermen. Whenever they're cleaning stuff up, you know what that means? They're finished. 
You're not going to clean stuff up to go fishing. <laughs> you know, my, 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 my daddy used to pick on me all the time. We'd be down in Grand Isle, Louisiana, which is my favorite place to go fishing. And he'd be like, come on, boy, let's get in the truck. I got the bait. Let's go. I said, but daddy, I got to get a shower. And he's like, why? <laughs> you know, we, we about to go fishing. We about to go use dead stuff as bait. You know, we, we, we about to go get stinky. So these brethren, the reason they were cleaning their nets or washing their nets, fishing time was over. It was time to go to the house. And I'm going to tell you, at work, one of the worst things I can hear at work, Brother Dusty, and I know you know this, is I'm finishing up that last chart, you know, and I'm like about to head out, about to hit that clock, and one of the doctors will say, oh, Mr. Danny, I need you to do something for me. I'm like, no! I'm going to tell you, whenever I think I'm done, whenever my nets are put up, so to speak, last thing in the world that I want to do is something else. Are y'all like that? I'll be honest with you, the last thing I want to do is my wife call me and say, hey, we you pick up some milk? I'm like, no, I do not want to go to Walmart. <laughs> I want to go home. But y'all understand the point. You work all day, you work all night. You don't want to do nothing, right? And in the third verse, he, meaning Jesus, and he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I never noticed that before, and prayed him, meaning he asked in a submissive way. Here's the Lord of glory that asked Peter in a submissive way to thrust out his ship. He had the authority to say, hey, we're going out. But in a submissive way, the Lord of glory bowed himself to Peter and said, hey, would you, would you take me out? Man, just because we have the authority to say something, or we have the authority to be a certain way, let us be like Jesus. Let us pray. <laughs> Never noticed that before. Prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draw. By the way, you can talk to shrimpers and fishermen today, and you can watch them on a, a Discovery Channel, them fishing and crabbing and shrimping, and them boys is tired, okay? Them boys is tired, and I was raised up by them boys, but most of them that I know, they got little mechanical pulleys to help pull them nets up. I want you to understand, we're about to get into something you need to understand. Peter, they didn't have them mechanical pulleys and and them automatic things to get things up, they pulled nets by hands. They pulled nets that accompanied so much fish that could sink a ship, and they pulled them by hand. Them boys worked. Okay? You know, think about this. It says whenever uh, Jesus rebuked Peter, Peter took off Jesus. He, he grabbed a hold of him. Peter was a big old boy. But look what it says there. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. You know what he just... Look, I want y'all to understand this. I want y'all to understand how contrary to nature this would be. Say you just worked a 12-hour shift and you were ready to go home. You just put everything up. 
You just got everything ready for the next day. Then you listened to a sermon. Then you went to church and you heard a preacher preach. Now you're really ready to go to bed, right? And then the preacher says, Hey, just a second. Go back to work. How excited are you going to be? I'm going to tell you, if I fished all night and I didn't catch nothing and I put my nets up and I heard Brother Stephen preach a magnificent sermon and he said, Brother Danny, go back out there one more time. You know what I'm going to say? I thank the Lord for your gift and your sermon, but not for your advice, okay? I'm going to the house. I mean, put yourselves Have y'all ever just been tired? I'm going to tell you, I, you know what I do whenever I get home from work after running them floors at, at the clinic all day? I go home and I prop my legs up and my wife brings me everything I want. She does. You say, Brother Annie, you ought not do that to your wife. Well, you know what? I think we got a pretty good deal working out. You just keep your opinion to yourself. You know? I'm tired and she brings me stuff. Good deal. I'm just saying, I ain't ready to go back to work. And look what it says here, though. In the fifth verse. Lord said, go back to work. You worked all night. You just heard a sermon. Go back to work. And look what Simon says. Fifth verse. And Simon answering, said unto him, Master... We have told all the night. You know what he said? We worked all night. And not just work, we've toiled. We've labored. We've had trouble. We've told all the night. And have taken nothing. Not that they weren't biting. Not that we only got a few. We ain't taken a fish. We ain't caught a minnow. We ain't got a squid or a shrimp. We ain't caught nothing. Nevertheless, natural circumstances tell us that this is foolish. Natural circumstances tell me I've worked all night. I'm tired. I put my gear up. We didn't catch nothing. But you said to do something. Nevertheless, look what he says. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. Brothers and sisters, that's how I want to live my life. I'm going to tell you, if Brother Alec uh, uh, comes to me and he's never done this, never have, I love Brother Alec. First time I met him, he ironed my shirt, Brother Stephen. Love me some Alec Cook. But if Brother Alec came to me and just lashed out to me, even though everything in our nature Everything in our society says that if I don't lash back, I'm a weak man, I'm a pushover, even though everything about my nature tells me to lash out. The Word of God says avenge not yourself. The Word of God says to pray for Him. The Word of God says to bless Him. So you know what I should do? I should do that nevertheless. Even though we feel like there's no hope in this world. Even though we get depressed. Even though we feel like 
reading the Word of God or coming to church is not going to give us rest. You know what Jesus says? If you feel wore out, if you feel burdened down, you give them to me and I will give you rest. I'm going to tell you, even though you don't think there's comfort in the Word of God, I'm going to tell you there is never the less. I don't care. I don't, brothers and sisters, whenever I was called to preach, People looked at me and said, who are you? First person I ever told that I was called to preach said, you're not called to preach. You haven't even ever read the Bible. Your daddy's not a preacher. You don't even go to church. You know what? Nevertheless. Brothers, it don't matter what things look by nature. If the Lord's leading you to do something, you do it. But you don't say, I'm going to commit sin and say the Lord led you to do that. That's not the Lord. That's your flesh. Right. The Bible says to try the spirits. How do you try the spirits? If you're feeling led to do something, you read the Word of God and make sure what you're feeling led to do lines up with the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, my wife makes me mad. Leading her is not being led by the Spirit. Being long-suffering and loving to her is being led by the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, there's a reason. Well, I won't get into all that. I won't get into all that. But look what happened. Whenever, you see, everything looked like, yeah, I ain't going to do this. <laughs> yeah, I ain't going back to work. But you know what Simon says? Lord, at your word. Master, because you said it. Oh, man, I want some nevertheless in my life. And look what happened whenever he obeyed God and said, nevertheless. Nevertheless, at thy word, fifth verse. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break and they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them and they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink I'm going to tell you they fished all night long didn't catch a thing but when Jesus but whenever they obeyed the word of Jesus, they got two ships. They got so many fish that two ships are about to sink. I want you to understand, they obeyed the word of God and they seen a miracle in their life. Brothers and sisters, whenever I say miracles, I'm not talking about fishes right then, but I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, sometimes the word of God and sometimes we feel the leadership of the Spirit and our flesh wants to take the easy road out and we don't want to obey the Word of God. We don't want to obey the leadership of God and we take the easy road out and we miss out on a blessing. And it can be just as simple. I remember one night I had worked a 12-hour uh, shift 
And we had a couple codes that night in the ICU, so I had to stay over charting. And so I think I worked like 15, 16 hours. And then I drove home, which was an hour away, and I had to turn right back around and work another 12-hour shift. So I was only going to get like four hours of sleep. And I was wore out. And I had a, a regimen of reading the Bible whenever I got home before I went to sleep. And I remember I was just so wore out. And I said, I'm not going to read the Bible today. You know, and I'm going to tell you, routines are hard to get into, but they're easy to break. I, you, you know the hardest Sunday to miss? That first one. You know the easiest one to miss? The second and the third and the fourth. You know the hardest uh, time to quit praying at night or quit praying in the morning, whatever your routine is? The first one. But I'm going to tell you, you quit praying that first one, that first night, the second night's easier, the third night, the fourth night. I'm going to tell you, we need to try to keep our routines. Don't be legalistic with it like you're going to hell if you don't do it. I'm going to tell you what, we should try to keep our godly routines, amen? amen. I mean, we, don't we wake up enough time in the day to brush our teeth? Don't we wake up enough time in the day saying, hey, if I, if I wake up at this time, I can jump in the shower, get dressed, drink my coffee and everything, and be to work at this time. Why can't we do the Word of God or praying or meditating the same way? But I remember I got home and I was exhausted. And I, I just felt like, oh, I just can't read. I mean, even if I did read, I wouldn't understand anything. And I'm going to tell you, my next chapter to read was Isaiah 12. And I laid down and I tried to close my eyes. And I just felt the Lord tell me. And it wasn't an audible voice. I just felt Him tell me right here. He said, give me five minutes. And I'll show you something. And I'm going to tell you what. I got up on the side of my bed. I opened that book. And I read Isaiah 12, which I think, what is it, like six verses or something? I don't know. It ain't very long. But I preached on Isaiah 12 for the next year and a half. I did. I mean, Isaiah 12 was good to me. I had never seen it. That's the gospel in Isaiah 12. I tell people all the time, I'm an Isaiah 12, 6 Baptist. It says, cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. You know why? Because great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. That means God lives in your heart. What else do we have to shout about? I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, because Peter applied nevertheless in his life, he seen this great miracle to where they went from not having a fish to take home, now two, now two boats are sinking. Not boats, but ships are sinking. And I'm going to tell you, oh, I love the way he reacted in the 8th verse. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh Lord, I want to tell you, I've experienced that. Whenever I've obeyed the Word of God, or I did what the Lord was telling me to do, and i just seen the power of God in my life, and I just couldn't believe that I was a part of it. But I'm going to tell you, over in Timothy it talks about folks who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They're born again. They're children of God. But they don't get to see the power of God in their life 
Because they don't apply nevertheless. <laughs> you know what I'm not applying enough in my, in my life? Nevertheless. You know what? I still talk about folks. I still, I still lash out at my wife. And I shouldn't. You say, Brother Daniel, you shouldn't. I agree. Pray for me. I'm not going to justify it, okay? And, and we need to quit justifying ourselves. See, we, we are sinners, and if we do something, even though we know the Bible says we shouldn't do it, we're going to say, well, it's because of the situation. God is not a situationless, brothers and sisters. If it's wrong, it's wrong. And the best thing we can ever do in our life is to admit that it was wrong and try not to do it again and beg God to give us strength. Amen? I want some nevertheless. But there's also some bad nevertheless in the Bible too. Over, See, this is a good nevertheless. This was a, you know what? Nature's telling me not to do it. My experience, my, my look, people are always going to say, well, from my experience, you know. Peter's experience, they shouldn't have went back fishing. But at the Word of God, Man, I love obeying the Word of God. And I love seeing the blessings in it. He obeyed God and he got to see the power of God. Look, the blessing, the fish, that's nothing. But seeing God work is a beautiful thing. You know one of the things I love to do in my life, in my ministry? Not, look, I love to feel the Holy Ghost whenever I'm preaching. But I'm going to tell you, I love going to a funeral whenever people are sad and depressed, and God just comes down in a mighty way, and those sad and depressed people leave there rejoicing. You know what we've just seen? The power of God working in people's lives. Isn't that amazing? And I'm going to tell you, sometimes we don't see the power of God working in our lives. It's because we're not applying nevertheless. He said, even though I really shouldn't be going fishing according to nature, I'm going to do what God told me to do. Over in Numbers 13 and 28, God told the children of Israel to take the land of Canaan. And they came back. And they said, Lord, Moses, it's surely a land that falls with milk and honey. Just like you said. But nevertheless, there be giants over there. God, you told us to do it. But that don't matter because we don't think we can do it. Are y'all ever like that? Moses was. God said, go talk to Pharaoh. And Moses says, I can't do it. I'm a stutterer. I'm a slow speech. You know what the Lord says? Who made your tongue? You know what the Lord says? Nevertheless, it don't matter what you think. I don't want to look at the promises of God and say, yeah, God said that, but nevertheless, I don't think it's going to work out. I'm going to tell you, if God is telling you to give somebody some money, I want you to understand, that's not your flesh. Your flesh wants as much money as it can get. If, if you feel led to sacrifice your time to go help somebody, if you feel led to call somebody, if you feel led to ride a car, if you feel led to help somebody, let me tell you something, that ain't your flesh, that's God. And if you feel led to do that, even though you put all these excuses in your head, why not to do it? You know what you need to tell your head? 
Go me over to, we'll bring, start wrapping it up. we got two more verses to hit. Go me over to 2 Timothy real quick. Chapter 1. Paul starts out this letter to Timothy in the first chapter talking about I remember your tears. I'm praying for you. I love you. And I don't like to speculate too much when I read the Bible. I don't like to talk about my speculation from the high pulpit. But I don't think it's too strong a speculation to see Paul talking about Timothy's tears and then late, then right after that, he says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. And some of those tears could be from Timothy fearing and being reluctant or apprehensive about his ministry. Not saying he's going to be disobedient. But I do that sometimes. Like, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. There, there, there's sometimes there's just tasks on your plate. You're like, Lord, I can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And, I, and I'll just be transparent with you. One of those things is trying to comfort people. Whenever people you love so much that God has given you a, given you a charge, given you a burden to love and to try to nourish and take care of, whenever they are, are, are going through stuff and they're, and, they're, uh, and they're mourning and you just want to comfort them but you know you can't do it, I'm going to tell you what I mean by you can't do it. You can't do it of yourselves. You just got to beg God for the power and just try to be there and be with them and wrap them up in love and fill them up with fried chicken and gravy if you can. <laughs> but here, Paul's addressing that he remembers his tears. He's telling God has not given us the spirit of fear. If God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, what does it come from? It comes from our flesh. It comes from Satan. And that doesn't mean you're a horrible person, brothers and sisters. See, that, this is what people got to get out of their head. This is the reason that we justify our sins so much. You see, brothers and sisters, we're all prideful. We are all so prideful. But a lot, of, especially old Baptists, we don't want to admit that because we've been so taught how horrible pride is, which it is, but we all have it. And if you act like you ain't got it, you're going to give in to it. If you think something doesn't exist, you're not going to fight against it. And a lot of times the reason we're so sensitive in life is because we're being prideful. That little comment shouldn't have got us like that. But we have this high view of ourselves. How could somebody not view me as the perfect almighty and actually say that I have a fault in life? Well, the preacher tells you you're totally depraved and you're born in sin and from nature you're a child of wrath. And you amen him, but whenever we get to specific sins, we don't want to admit any. Amen? amen. I struggle with pride. I struggle with thinking of myself more than I ought to, and so do you. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be a better battler of it whenever you admit it. Because I'm going to tell you, the people that you think are the most humble... Those are the people who think they're prideful and they try to fight that pride so they stand on it and they look humble. And by the way, your sins in life do not define you. 
If you messed up one time, you're not a fornicator if you repented. You messed up one time, you got drunk. You're not a drunkard if you repented. If you were drunk for five years and you repented of that, you're not a drunkard anymore. Your sins do not define you. And so, but that's one of the reasons people don't want to admit that fear is wrong, is because we all fear in some way. Doesn't mean you're a horrible person. It just means that we're letting our fear take a hold of us. And we need to give it to the Lord. And you know what? When it comes back, give it back to the Lord. And when it comes back, give it back to the Lord. Guess what? I haven't just went on one diet in my life. I went on thousands of diets in my life. Right? <laughs> well, look what it says here. I'm the first <laughs> Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. Eighth verse. Right after he told Timothy that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Amen. Do you realize that the Trinity lives in you? Roman 8 says the Spirit of God lives in you. Uh, Titus 3 says the Holy Ghost lives in you. Colossians 1 tells, tells us that Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Trinity lives in you. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. You have the power of God. You're able to talk to Jehovah. Wow! And after he tells him that he, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. We'd love to preach on that, but not going to. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does the gospel do? It doesn't bring life and immortality to you. It just brings it to light, meaning it shows you that you have it. And then 11th verse, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher for the which cause I also suffer these things. He's saying, I suffer because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because I'm telling people about their Savior. And then look what he says, even though I'm suffering, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. You know why? For I know, because I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What does that mean? He says, the reason I'm not ashamed because I know whom I believe. I believe in Jesus. And he says, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him. What had Paul committed about Jesus Christ? What has he said about Jesus? He has said that Jesus was his Savior, therefore he wasn't ashamed. You know what he also taught about Jesus? <coughs> Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our comfort. Jesus is our joy. Jesus is our rest. Brothers and sisters, 
I Look, I'm looking at people that I have no doubt in my mind that you believe that you're going to go to heaven because of what Jesus did for you. Amen? You believe in Jesus as your Savior. But I'm going to tell you, I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to understand you have committed to Him that He is your rest. He is your comfort. He is your joy. And He is your peace. And you need to act like it. Even though you suffer things in this world, even though you suffer grief, even though you suffer down days, even though you suffer people picking on you, even though you suffer church members talking about you, even though you suffer having your feelings hurt, even though you suffer with depression, even though you suffer with anxiety, I'm going to tell you, never the less. I know who I believe. I'm going to tell you, well, he's my comforter. He's my hope. And He's my joy. And you know what? I'm going to stay in the Word of God so I can remember to act like it. Y'all know whenever depression overcomes me the most, I can't talk about your depression. All I know is about mine, okay? I ain't going to talk about everybody else. You know whenever it grabs a hold of me? Whenever I ain't in my Word. Y'all know when anxiety has my mind going crazy? When I ain't in the Word of God. I can't talk about you. I'm talking about me. Okay? And if you take medicine, I'm not telling you to quit taking medicine. There's a thing called spiritual depression and spiritual anxiety. And there's a thing called clinical depression and clinical anxiety. You understand what I'm saying? Two different things. Two different things. And because we know people who suffer with them, sometimes we feel very apprehensive and reluctant to talk. We need to talk about it. <laughs> I remember whenever I started talking about it about 10 years ago, people said, I thank you for saying this because people always acted like I was the worst sinner because I was depressed or I was anxious. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you live in this world and you're not depressed, something's wrong with you. If you go through what we go through and you don't get a little anxious, if you drive through Atlanta traffic, and you don't clench up a little bit? I want to drink some of your blood. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean you got something I need to get. Says, this world attacks you. We have life living in us. And this world is cruel. And it's death. And it's dead. And it's decaying. And the prince of this world hates your guts. We need to understand that. You young people... Whenever he entices you and says, and you old people, and you middle-aged people, and you weak people, you strong people, whenever he entices you and says, hey, it's just between me and you, I ain't going to tell him a lie. He's lying. He's a liar and the father of it, the Bible says. And he'll tell you that. He'll say, just do it this one time. Ain't just this once, it'll quench it. Brothers and sisters, you do it once, you want it more and more and more. Last thing we'll go to. Go with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Amen. Paul says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is something, brothers and sisters, Again, no matter what your flesh tells you, <coughs> nevertheless. Look what it says here. 
but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. You know what? I've had Prudent Baptist preachers tell me, no, it won't. You, you see, would shunning a profane and vain babbling be watching something that has the profane and vain babbling? Oh, brother Danny, now you're getting in my personal life. Oh, now, oh, oh, now you're meddling. Brothers and sisters, I used to struggle so bad with having a horrible mouth. And you know when I struggle again? Whenever I hear it, whenever I'm around it, whenever I watch shows that have it. It just said, shun profane and vain babblings because it will increase unto more ungodliness. Either it will or it won't. And if you're telling me it won't, you're telling me the Word of God is not lying. And you're saying, nevertheless, God said that. I like rated R movies. I'm going to watch it anyway. Tell me you're not saying that. Tell me I haven't said that. I've said it. I'm going to tell you, my wife heard me preach for two years. Don't watch rated R movies. Don't watch rated R movies. Don't watch them. And then there was this movie that I really wanted to watch. It was about a really good story. And I said, let's watch it. And she said, it's rated R. I'm like, yeah, but it's a really good story. And we watched it. And I was so happy and rejoiced that we watched it. Is that what happened? No, I was smote my very soul. Because God said, don't. And I said, nevertheless. And I got a little further away from God in my spiritual experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, look what it says here. And their word will eat as doth the canker of whom is Harmonius and Philippus. 18th verse. Who concerning the truth have erred. You know the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. You know what? Back in the 80s and 90s, they had this new heresy out. This new doctrine. You know what it was called? To scare everybody into heaven? Left Behind. Left Behind series. Y'all remember that? That ain't new. That's 2,000 years old. Look at it. Look what it says here. Who concerning the truth. 18th verse. Who concerning the truth. And I see what time it is and I'm wrapping it up, brothers and sisters. Y'all been great. Who concerning the truth have erred. Hey, I see what time it is. Nevertheless. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Do y'all realize that is? There are preachers. He's talking about, hey y'all, there are preachers out there who are preaching. Y'all know what the resurrection is? That's when Jesus comes back, gives a shout, and everybody that's in the grave is coming out of the grave and they are going to reunite with their soul and spirit and Jesus in the air in a glorified body. Amen? Amen. And everybody that's still living here is just going to shoot straight to glory and be translated. Isn't that amazing? That's the resurrection. And these preachers are running around saying that the resurrection is past. You know what they're saying? Jesus doesn't come God His people. Y'all got left behind. And you know what Paul says? There are actually God's people who are believing that. And their faith is overthrown and they don't believe that they're going to heaven. And Paul is saying they don't believe they're going to heaven. Paul is saying they believe that they are not part of the chosen. 
they believe they're going to hell. You know what Paul says right after that? Nevertheless. That don't matter. Brothers and sisters, what you and I believe about the Lord matters a lot in how we feel and our peace and our comfort and our joy and our way of walk. Amen? Amen. But on going to heaven, nevertheless. You know what he says? Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are His. You know what he just said? He said, even though their faith has been overthrown and they don't know that they are His, He knows it. Ooh, I need some nevertheless in my life. I'm going to tell you when old Satan tells me I'm too tired to do anything. I'm too tired to read my Bible. I'm too tired to follow the Lord. I need to be like old Simon. Nevertheless. Amen? Amen. I'm going to tell you, whenever old Satan says there's no way that I can go to heaven because of things that I've done, I need to look at him and say, nevertheless, the Lord knoweth them that are His. I love you all and God bless you. Amen.